Welcome back. I'm Stephanie DiNardo. You can keep up to date on this developing story online at WUFT.org. Our new staff is curating developments in the story in a live blog, pulling reports from NPR, the Associated Press, and other media outlets. We're also keeping our Twitter feed updated, and you can follow that at WUFT News. One of the news producers following this story in Connecticut is former WUFTFM reporter Dan Katz, who now works for WSHUFM in Fairfield, Connecticut. Katz talked with Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Donna Green Townsend about today's shooting tragedy in Newtown. Let's start with describing the location of where the shooting occurred compared to where your station is. How far away are you from the scene? Well, Sandy Hook, it's a village located within Newtown, and it's a suburban upper-middle-class community. And um, it's quite a distance from, uh, from New York City. It's, it's about 50 miles away, and uh, it's not too far from us as well, um, about a 25-minute drive. Uh, we have one of our reporters at the scene right now at the school and another at a nearby hospital. But uh, going back to, uh, to Newtown, suburban upper-middle-class community, very peaceful uh, just like a lot of the uh, some communities on the outskirts of Gainesville, uh, a place you wouldn't really expect something like this to happen. And we were completely shocked when this first came across our wires. When was that? When did you first get word of it up there? Uh, we got word of it um, around 10 o'clock, and the reports were that it happened around 9.40 a.m. The first reports that you were getting, um, were they from law enforcement? Were they just, you know, just give us some more details on what kind of uh, word was getting out? Well, the de- the details were very sketchy at first, basically just that at a shooting had occurred, and really nobody could confirm anything. Uh, basically, the Associated Press was reporting that something was going down uh, in Newtown, and we immediately sent one of our reporters there and uh, that, that's when the death, stole, the death toll really started. Um, it really started getting higher and higher until we got to the 27 people, including 18 children, where we're currently at at, at the moment. Now, I understand that the, the, the president is actually going to speak this afternoon, um, the governor of the state. Uh, can you give us some idea of, of where, you know, what, what's happened so far in terms of uh, those state officials who were on the scene? Well, basically, um, the uh, Lieutenant, L- Lieutenant Paul Vance, he's a spokesman for the Connecticut State Police, uh, he held a press conference about an hour ago. And um, he was also, uh, he also, it was scheduled to be about one, but it was delayed a little bit. And in that press conference, uh, the details still were a little bit sketchy. We weren't able to find out a lot more. Basically, what law enforcement was saying was that they, they had to inform the families first, and that's what their goal was. And, you know, uh, it's quite understandable in a situation like this. Um, but we're hearing that we're supposed to get updates uh, from the hospital where one of our reporters is going to be at the Danbury Hospital, which is only a few miles away, uh, about three of the victims that are currently being treated there. And uh, we're going to be hearing more from a bunch of different state officials uh, w- within the next few minutes. Uh, we've been waiting for a while. A lot of our information has had to come really from um, from stories from People from parents of children uh, who go to that school. Uh, one man we spoke to, his daughter's in the fourth grade, and uh, uh, fortunately uh, she's now safe with him. But uh, 
when he picked up his daughter, um, one of her classmates, you know, has a younger brother in the first grade. And uh, as of a few hours ago, they said that they were on pins and needles, afraid that, you know, that he could be, he could very well be among one of the 18 children um, who've been killed. And what are you learning about the shooter so far in terms of, you know, what motivation? Is there any inkling at all what caused this to happen? I've heard a lot of different rumors, and really as far as a solid confirmation, uh, really not not prepared yet uh, to be able to to say uh, to give exact details. Um, what, what we're hearing now is that the shooter uh, was from came came from New Jersey, and uh, this wasn't someone from within the school, but was rather uh, trying to. Um, he was going after somebody who worked at the school. You know, ever since Columbine and some of the other school shootings, many schools across the country did do training for this kind of thing. And are you aware of whether or not the, the school system there really had, you know, done a good job preparing for such an, an event like this? Interestingly enough, um, the state has really tried to get particularly tough on gun violence in high schools in a lot of the urban areas, um, in the three major cities, Bridgeport, Hartford, and New Haven. And uh, p- part of uh, some of the coverage that our station has been doing, we have a state of disparity series. And um, a lot of the urban high schools have been having um, a tr- tremendous issues with gun violence. And the state is actually um, participating in a pilot program right now to increase the amount of hours um, that students are in schools to be able to um, crack down on that violence and uh, with kids that age having free time later on. But, I mean, this is completely different. I mean, this an elementary school in a neighborhood like Sandy Hook, it's another story. And, and quite frankly, you know, no, no matter what kind of security measures that anyone could have tried to implement, it's very difficult to prepare for a situation like this. The whole state right now is just on pins and needles, just like uh, just like the people um, who we talked to earlier in the day about uh, about the person who or they were worried about in the schools. Yes. Now you've got two reporters that are out in the field, or you know, how are you uh, manning the story from your perspective, being there in Connecticut? As a morning edition producer, um, I mean, my job's almost done by 11 o'clock usually, but this came across the wires around 10, and once this happened, we knew it was a, a huge tragedy of, of of unfortunately great proportion and w- probably one of the worst tragedies in the history of our country. And so I knew that um, immediately I was going to have to start making phone calls, and uh, we were able to get in touch with quite a few people who gave us some anecdotal uh, some anecdotal stories, some anecdotal information about uh, kindergarteners have, uh, being told to run and sprint to the firehouse next door, which was very close. Um, I believe it was only uh, it was about 100 yards away. And reports of parents um, being reunited with their kids and also of other ones. All right, Dan, we really appreciate it. That was producer for WSHUFM in Fairfield, Connecticut, Dan Katz, talking with WUFT's Donna Green Townsend. Since she spoke with Katz, the president did deliver some remarks, and officials are now reporting that 20 children were confirmed dead and six adults as well.
In a press conference earlier today, Newton law enforcement officials spoke about their actions following the 911 call that came through just after 9.30 this morning. Today, we spoke with Gainesville Police Department Public Information Officer Ben Tobias about how our own law enforcement trains for emergency situations. GPD has definitely stepped up patrols around our uh, local schools in the wake of this. Uh, GPD has been training for years. Um, uh, it really started around the Columbine tragedy. Uh, we've been training for the active shooter scenario. Um, and we've been asked from time to time, you know, what we're doing, if we're ready for it. And uh, we can assure you that the Gainesville Police Department is ready uh, to address any kind of incident, including an active shooter incident. Tobias says the so-called active shooter scenario that officers train for can be applied to more situations than just a school emergency. It could be a mall, it could be a movie theater, it could be a school. Uh, the, the venue itself doesn't really matter as, as much as the elements of it. And when we have uh, someone that's actively firing and actively hurting people, we're going to go direct to that threat, and this is something that we've been training for years. Our officers go through um, training on it uh, every year to make sure that we're at the very top of our game when it comes to this. He says in cases involving young school children, they can be especially delicate as officers work to balance the needs of handling an emergency without further traumatizing young victims. We're going to do whatever we need to do to ensure the student's safety, to ensure the staff and the faculty's safety. Uh, some of that may be, I guess the easiest way to say is a very dynamic um, thing. If if one of these incidents were to happen at a, at a Gainesville school, um, it's going to be very dynamic. There's going to be a lot of movement, and there's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be, you know, potentially gunfire. Our our responsibility and what we signed up for this job is to keep the people safe, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're safe. Um, and then as soon as we can do that, as soon as the threat has been eliminated, we will switch hats, so to speak, and uh, go through the process of uh, tending to the children. In this case, it's elementary age uh, children, which you know are very emotionally fragile, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know, we'll be able to, to easily change hats from, from one to the other very quickly. That was Officer Ben Tobias from the Gainesville Police Department. You're listening to a special edition of Front Page. You're listening to Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM and today's special edition of Front Page. Schools across the nation are reacting to the shooting earlier today. Alachua County School Board Public Information Officer Jackie Johnson says they are aware of and keeping up with the situation. Well, obviously we're... we're monitoring what's going on along with probably the rest of the country um, and it, we're just obviously horrified by, by what's happening and you, you'd like to think that uh, children at least would be safe from this kind of violence but obviously that's not the case. Johnson says that Alachua County has not yet taken any action in regards to this particular situation but that they are continually in contact with Alachua's law enforcement. Uh, we have a very close working relationship with all law enforcement agencies in Alachua County. Uh, they keep us posted on anything that needs to be done in terms of safety and security. We always follow their lead, uh, and um, that's, that's how we operate um, whenever there's any sort of incident in, in Alachua County. Johnson says that should anything like this happen locally, each school has a unique protocol to handle the situation. 
actually have full-blown safety and security plans for each one of our individual schools, and that's based on things like grade level, geography, the layout of the school, um, and those have been developed in conjunction with local law enforcement to deal with a number of emergency situations, and that's something that, uh, that we do every year is go over those plans, make sure they're up to date, and make any changes as necessary. Johnson says that because the protocol for each school in the county is unique, the plan of action for each school in a situation like this would be different. Uh, you know, without knowing exactly what happened in this situation, it, it's hard to know which one of those policies is relevant in this particular case. Among the operations for keeping schools secure, she says that people who come through the schools need to be identified. Uh, of course, we do require people to check in uh, in the front office at a school. Um, People who are on campus on a regular basis need to have badges. Uh, there are certain visitors on school who need to be uh, fingerprinted and background checked. You're listening to a special edition of Front Page. The fatal shooting at the Connecticut Elementary School is sending shockwaves among many of the nation's teachers, including Mary Barrow, instructional vice president of the Alachua County Education Association. She says she believes the county has done a good job of setting up safety protocol for the schools. As far as protocols, I think our district has done a pretty good job setting up um, protocols in the case uh, of an incident like this. Um, I do know that they uh, ask that visitors that are on campus check in uh, and that they uh, notify staff that they're there. Uh, And my experience, since I get to visit a lot of schools, my experience is staff is really aware when someone's on campus and they're not supposed to be there. They do tend to stand out. As a former high school teacher, Barrio believes the county is well prepared to train teachers and staff how to carry out the protocol. When I was recently teaching at Gainesville High School, uh, we received excellent training uh, last year following, uh, 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 I believe that there was a a shooting at a school, um, and we also had a a bomb threat that was called in, and, and our resource officers just did an amazing job debriefing us, letting us know um, where our strengths were, where our weaknesses were, where we could do better. And I I really felt when I was at Gainesville High School that um, the plan was improving, that they were very interested in finding holes in our security systems, fixing those holes, making sure they were keeping um, everyone that's at that school every day safe, the students and the staff and the teachers and parents. Barrio says should something similar to this morning's incident in Connecticut occur in Alachua County, there are certain procedures teachers and staff take to keep them and their students safe. The immediate reaction would be a school lockdown. As soon as um, any kind of issue happens, um, all of our schools are in a position to have uh, a lockdown in place. And what that means is that the teachers are um, told over the intercom that the school is in lockdown mode. Um, You're to go to your classroom door and lock it immediately. You take the children away from any visible windows or doors, uh, and you you get them out of sight. Alachua County teachers and staff are trained not only on how to carry out the procedures, but also in how to do their best in handling the children in scary situations. I know that as a teacher, I felt very adequately uh, trained in um, how to how to explain to the children that this is a serious situation, and we never know when we are having a drill, uh, and we never know when it's real. 
um, and we treat all of these incidences as if it's it's a real incident. So we are encouraged to talk to the kids when we um, have drills and explain that to them that, you know, we always assume that this is a real situation and um, we encourage them to, you know, follow directions very, very closely. Looking forward, Barrio believes that in light of the shooting in Connecticut, the school board members and staff will take another look at the current procedures in place. I do think there is a concern Um, there's always going to be room for improvement, and I I do think something like this makes us all stop and reflect um, what could we all be doing better. Um, So I'm sure that sort of discussion is going to take place as we move forward. Much of today's discussion has revolved around the fact that many of the victims are so young. Barrio says despite the different protocol in place for each school within Alachua County, elementary schools are still equipped to handle situations quickly. And it's very shocking what what we're seeing coming out of Connecticut that it's a it's an elementary school, um, but you know it seems like we still have the ability in our district if it's a elementary school and they don't have a resource officer. I think we're still going to see a quick response. Uh, we're going to have people at that school that are trained to handle the situation. I imagine coming out of this the schools are going to be having conversations. Uh, I can see it coming in the next faculty meetings. I can see it coming from the district level. I'm sure there will be a reaction in which you know, we do examine the protocols at each of our schools and, and make sure we're doing all we can. I'm Emily Burris. And I'm Stephanie DiNardo. You're listening to a special edition of Front Page. One lawmaker who has been a part of national discussion in the past year is Republican State Representative Dennis Baxley from Ocala. Baxley wrote Florida's Stand Your Ground law, which became hotly debated after Trayvon Martin was killed in Sanford, Florida, by Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman. Zimmerman's legal defense claims he was within his constitutional rights under the state's Stand Your Ground law, which allows a person to justifiably use force in self-defense when there is reasonable belief of an unlawful threat without an obligation to retreat first. Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's L. Newbold talked with Representative Baxley about the controversial law as well as his reaction to today's tragedy in Connecticut. One of the bigger issues this year centered around a lot of controversy with the Stand Your Ground law that you sponsored. What do you say to people when they say that all of these issues coming up this year, the cases that have come up this year in regards to the Stand Your Ground law means that the law needs to be changed? Uh, my response in that regard is, is uh, assuring them that after careful analysis with the uh, task force uh, for the governor on our self-protection uh, law in Florida, that uh, we are encouraged by the fact that there has been a steady decline in the number of violent deaths. And uh, my view is what we've done with our self-defense policy in Florida is demonstrate that if you empower people to stop violent acts from occurring, they can, they will, and they did. Now, clearly there's been some need to grow in terms of education of what this statute is and is not. And I think there's some concerns about uniformity of application. And uh, we'll continue to analyze those results from the uh, task force study that could be instructed to us. And if there's things that we need to do, uh, we'll we'll certainly be analyzing that as we move forward. But less of it being a policy problem, it's been more of a problem of 
uh, helping a, a uniform understanding and a uniform and fair application of the statute uh, uh, function moving forward. Uh, but I truly believe that Floridians are safer, and uh, most polling indicates that 70% of Floridians agree with the posture of our self-defense statute and that we will stand by our citizens if you're a law-abiding citizen doing nothing wrong and you become the violent of a vicious attack that will stand with you and you will not be prosecuted. One of the last things that I wanted to bring up, currently there's a breaking news story in Connecticut about a shooting that happened at a local elementary school. Do you have any comments on that situation? Yes, I'm I'm, uh, breach-stricken at such loss, being a father of five children, a grandchildren of eight grandchildren, uh, a grandfather eight times, I, I, my heart just breaks, breaks to think of uh, what those families are experiencing. And uh, it really does put into question, in my mind, why are we creating these gun-free zones so that a, a person that's irrational, who doesn't care what your rules are, has a sterile target. He knows he can go in that environment, and no one will be prepared to stop him. And and, and it absolutely validates to me that this idea of gun control in a state here where uh, in Connecticut has some of the strongest gun control laws in the nation, and then in China we have a same kind of serious incident, and there wasn't even a firearm. It was a, a knife. He knifed over 22 children over there whoever this deranged person is. We simply can't continue to create sterile targets for deranged people to attack and know that no one will be able to stop them. That was Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's L. Newbold speaking with State Representative Dennis Baxley. Democratic Representative Charles Chestnut holds slightly different opinions concerning gun control and individual ownership of firearms. Today I spoke with the past state representative and soon-to-be-inducted county commissioner about the process of proposing legislation regarding gun control and how today's tragedy might impact this issue. Really getting people to understand that there is an issue with gun, but then you have the Second Amendment that gives you the right to bear arms. So uh, and most folks in the state of Florida, even uh, state legislators, like the Second Amendment, which allows you to bear arms. So uh, legislation has been passed over the years, which you have the Rifle Association, who's been very strong in terms of Tallahassee lobbying uh, for certain uh, gun laws, in, in which you have legislators uh, or legislators who agree with some of that principle, and probably the majority of the legislators currently in Tallahassee are, are probably inclined to support the uh, Rifle Association in terms of the right to bear arms and to own a gun and to carry a gun, and uh, they're probably going to support stand-your-ground uh, type of law. So it makes it very difficult uh, to get people to see the other side that we're also losing lives with the with guns and you have people who are very responsible with guns uh and then you have those who aren't so how, how do you legislate that and how, how do you tell folks that these things are bad when they're like sort of isolated incidents but these incidents uh like it's basically have people to begin to advocate that some of the laws are, are kind of bad uh because we will continue to have these type of losses in terms of lives. Uh, so uh, 
but really, I think it's basically boiled down to lobbying your legislator, uh, your legislators uh, about the issue and telling them where you feel that it's wrong. Uh, but currently, uh, most folks will probably follow the U.S. Constitution in terms of the right to bear arms. With today's shooting, do you think that's kind of give people in Florida who are really trying to get anti-gun laws bills passed and taken up by the legislators. How do you think people will use today's tragedy to promote various gun laws? It all depends on how one words the the legislation in terms of uh, and how they use this incident to to say that uh, guns are unsafe. You know, at some point you have to have folks, uh, you know, they have the registration and all of that stuff to make sure that if you go to purchase a gun and all of that stuff. So they have the checks and balance there. But you never know what a person will do once they purchase a gun. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. So so, so it's, it's a very difficult process, and it's a, a process that has to be worked out and, and pretty much uh, studied in the legislature for them to to really make an issue to move forward with some type of legislation or not. And normally in the legislative process, uh, someone will s- submit a bill and the bill will get workshop or the bill will get uh, go through committee with discussions and questions and stuff like that. And uh, and then if the bill is not right uh, or not ready, I mean I shouldn't say right, but if the legislature is is not good uh then they study it some more and they bring it back the next year and the next year after that if it takes that long um but you're going to have strong opponents to any uh legislation that prevents someone the right to to own a gun so uh, you're going to have people who are going to fight that regardless so uh so you have to figure a way to legislate gun control in a manner that it doesn't prevents uh, an individual from their federal rights uh, to bear arms. So, I mean, that's where the crux of the issue comes in, in terms of gun control, in in my opinion. It's just very difficult to legislate that kind of stuff, Uh, you know. But the the question is, and you could always say, is how many lives do we have to lose before uh, we change a law that is bad? for our people or our citizens. I mean, that's the issue. And, of course, government's supposed to look at public safety, health, and welfare. So those are the things that will have to be addressed and have to be worked out in any form of legislation. Uh, but then you're going to have federal constitution that comes into play, too, when you're uh, dealing. And so, of course, the legislature have their own uh, attorneys on staff who will probably guide them in terms of how to address and use the laws that will be fair and equitable to everybody. So, I mean, it's it's a real tough issue. It's a very tough, tough issue uh, to deal with. And, and of course, with this incident today, uh, brings more light to, to maybe to explore that even more about gun control. So it's going to be entirely left up to the legislature. It's going to be entirely left up to a legislator to present that type of uh, bill before the legislature to get it heard. So there is opportunity uh, for one to use this incident to to say we need more 
uh, gun control, um, more things to uh, prevent these type of things from happening. But it's really, really a tough issue because you're dealing with the federal constitution with this issue too. So it makes it very difficult uh, to put parameters on on a law that you might feel to control gun control. But it's something that the legislature is going to have to work out, and it's something that our Congress is going to have to work out also uh, to deal with those issues. So uh, it's going to be... Uh, very contentious because you have people who believe in gun rights. That was former Democratic State Representative Charles Chestnut. Before the break, we heard from former Representative Charles Chestnut. As he mentioned, these events often stir talk about gun control, and the topic brings out strong opinions on both sides. The technicalities of the Second Amendment right to bear arms have become increasingly complicated, with increases in both weapons technology and the awareness of many mental health complications. Owner of Saps Pawn and Gun and Archery, Butch Ford, says today's events were shocking. It's absolutely tragic. I'm I'm at a loss as to um, why our society is um, is doing this. However, Ford doesn't think shootings like this one merit more changes to the nation's gun control laws. Our Constitution was founded on um, you know the amendments that are there, and the Second Amendment gives us the right to bear arms, and I think that is what gives um, the United States the the greatness that we have today is that we are not only protect ourselves, but we're also able to protect half the rest of the world um, from people who wish to do harm. Um, it's almost impossible to prevent a mentally deranged person from doing something wrong if they're going to do it. Um, no law in the world is going to keep somebody from doing something like that. Ford says current background checks and safety measures should be enough to allow for gun ownership. The current background check system is adequate. I think it screens people properly. Um, we refuse people, you know, the, that want to purchase guns. Um, you know, not quite often. I mean, you know, not every day, but it it certainly happens. People come in, try to buy a gun, and we run a background check on them, and they're denied. Um, so I think the system works. Ultimately, Ford says these events shouldn't be the only standards by which firearms are measured. He says if an individual wants to commit a crime, they'll find a way, even if it involves finding weapons illegally. And Ford says because of this, he will continue to fight for his right to bear arms. When a tragedy like today's school shooting happens, everyone is impacted in some way. But for the students who experienced this trauma, it might be harder to move on and accept what happened. I spoke with Dr. Elias Sarkis, a child and adolescent psychiatrist, about the psychological impacts any kind of tragedy can have on a child and how parents can help children understand what has happened without causing more fear. From the psychological standpoint, how can students and children cope with this and go back to school with that kind of fear of not knowing if you're going to be okay in some place that you should be safe? Right. And it is a real fear and it is a real um, problem. However, we need to know that it, it's still rare. It's still isolated. These things don't happen uh, all the time everywhere. They do happen occasionally, but with today's media and with our you know, TV coverage, it feels like it happens a lot all, all over the place. So I think that people, um, adults need to you know, calm themselves down before they talk to kids and 
as they talk to kids, they should answer the kids' questions and be appropriate with the kid. Um, I think the child will be calmer if the adult the parent is calm. If the parent has issues, then the parent really needs to calm down before they talk to the kid about it. Now, what is going through a child's mind? I guess what would be the standpoint of the child having to go back to school after a tragedy like this, and not just in Connecticut, but any kind of tragedy that a child <laughs> might face? Well, I, I think I think uh, depending on how close they are to to what happened, um, there's an increase in anxiety. Obviously, I think that um, exposure, more exposure to uh, TV, seeing all the details, seeing perhaps you know some bodies carted off, etc., are going to increase a child's anxiety. Although parents should be, you know, truthful with their kids, they should not exaggerate. Or they should not, you know, allow the children to watch too much television coverage of this type of event. How will tragedies like this impact a child later on in life? Will this be something that could have an impact on them for the rest of their lives? Well, I think the impact is really mediated um, by, um, by the adult's response. If the adult is, gets very anxious, then the child will get very anxious. The adult takes care of themselves and really calms down before presenting it to the child, uh, then the child will be able to buffer it better. And of course, depending on how other kids react in the classroom is going to impact how the kids feel. So these are things that are happening. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of violence in our society. There's a lot of violence in our media. There's a lot of violence in the video games. And I think that's an issue that probably needs the long term to be addressed in the long term. What is your best advice for children and families that have been dealt this kind of a trauma to help them kind of get back into the flow of life again and try to make things seem normal again? I, I think, I think um, that uh, parents need to, first of all, ground themselves. Uh, secondly, to um, provide you know, assurance for the child and to um, answer the child's question, to be truthful. Uh, not to overblow things. Um, I think it's important for, um, you know, to, to evaluate this, the individual child's response. Every that was Dr. Elias Sarkis of Sarkis Family Psychiatry. Thanks for tuning in to the front page edition of All Things Considered. This has been a broadcast of Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM. I'm Emily Burris. And I'm Stephanie DiNardo.